Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Well, last week and this week, we are talking uh, about probably the, the best way I could uh, summarize it is, is uh, reflecting the invitational posture of Jesus. Um, last week, we, we looked at Jesus' mission and his ministry and how he described it and he explained it. And, and really, as we, as we look at Jesus and we think about the idea of posture, we see his posture toward all people that he engaged was of an invitational nature. It was this invitational posture. And when we think about that, we think of posture and how we engage one another. And our posture can be inviting. It can be something that will cause people to kind of pass us by. Um, you know, like some people have an intense posture. Some people have kind of, they almost look angry. Um, you're kind of like, well, I don't want to talk to them. And, and, and other people have this inviting posture. And so even with the Pharisees, Jesus still had this invitational posture where, where we see not many, but a couple of Pharisees actually came to Jesus with genuine questions about how they can please God better, how they can live in a way that, that, would, be in, in, uh, that would be in alignment with what God, God calls them to. And so, so even that, so we see in the life and ministry of Jesus, this invitational posture that he calls us to reflect and he calls us to imitate. And so just to kind of remind us of a couple things that we talked about last week from the Gospel of Luke, one is that Jesus regularly invited people whose context or background was suspect or dismissed from active pursuit. Like people who, people who we see that say, well, I don't think they're gonna respond or, or they, they look like somebody who maybe just isn't, isn't uh, somebody who's maybe, I don't think I have a lot in common or they just look like they're, they're not gonna be excited about what I have to say. And, and Jesus regularly was inviting people like that. Last week we talked about how Jesus, his invitational posture toward, toward Levi, the tax collector, and, and, and how that just blew up into this feast at Levi's house with a bunch of tax collectors and people who were considered the worst of the worst and the, the Pharisees interacting with that. And, 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 so, and so we see that with Jesus' ministry. Secondly, last week we talked about how Jesus invited people understanding both the urgency of their situation, their need for salvation, and the cost to change their life. Um, you see, I think, I think a lot of times we need to recognize and we need to remember that, that salvation and forgiveness is that thing that every person needs. But it also requires us to rebuild the foundation that we've been built on, we've built and we've been living on from probably most of our lives. Because Jesus' call is an exchange. It, it's, it's my life for his life. My way for his way. And so, and so Jesus recognized both the urgency of their situation and that for somebody like Levi, the cost of following Jesus would be very significant. And, and, and we have to recognize that as we engage people. Um, thirdly is this, that Jesus calls us to carry out the mission he modeled for us. In other words, to add to the kingdom of God. So he calls us to do this very same thing, 
We talked about how, how Jesus described himself as, as a, a physician, a bridegroom, and all of that. And if, if you weren't here last week, please listen to last week's message because we're building on that this week. And, and really, we're gonna keep coming back to this week after week because this is really, really important in the life of our church. And, and so um, I want you to just kind of make sure you get that and, and, and kind of review that. Um, a couple weeks ago, our, our staff, we had a, a handful of staff meetings and we were together and... And I asked a question of our staff. Um, I asked the question, how does God grow his kingdom? How does God grow his kingdom? And so we were in in groups at tables, and so we spent some time at our tables discussing and talking about um, the question of how does God grow his kingdom? And and so eventually we kind of came back together and we had somebody from each table kind of share with the rest of the group. And it was interesting because it was very much a strong theme from all of the tables that the, 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 the conclusion was that, that God grows his kingdom through relationships. Through relationships that people have and develop with, with people who are part of his kingdom. Um, except the last table that went, um, they said uh, that um, they think God grows his kingdom um, where we just sit back and enjoy things, and then if God brings somebody, we um, casually accept them. And then they said, just kidding, uh, we just didn't want to go with the whole relational thing because we didn't come up with anything else. Um, but, but, but it's interesting, even, even when the person made that joke, it is often kind of the way we behave, isn't it? We kind of just assume, well, if God opens a door, if God brings someone to me, or if some, God brings someone to the church, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, Cautiously get to know them, make sure they're okay. And, and we, we, even though we joke about that, and all of us know that how God grows his kingdom is through the relationships and through his people reaching out in humility and surrender to Jesus Christ. Yet we tend to live in a way that we assume we're just kind of passive receivers. And, and, and so, so obviously understanding that, I want you to um, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. And um, I'm going to start reading in, in verse 12, but I want to give a little bit of the setting of this. And so Jesus is, is invited to uh, a Pharisee's house for a meal. Remember last week, again, we talked about Jesus being invited to Levi's house, a tax collector. You couldn't get more opposite than a tax collector and a Pharisee in the social structure of the first century Judaism. Like, not possible to get more crazy opposite ends. Um, I mean, I think, like, they would make, like, uh, Trump and Pelosi look like friends. So, like, this is extreme, okay? This is serious, okay? So, very different, very different meal contexts. And so, Jesus is invited, and so it's Saturday, it's the Sabbath, and, and earlier that day, as Jesus is, 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 is doing ministry and, and, and kind of doing his thing, um, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath who suffered with dropsy. And I've read over that passage before, and I've always just been like, dropsy, I don't know what that is. Um, I'm not in the medical profession, but I, I looked it up, and so it's, it's actually, likely, it's edema um, due to congestive heart failure. So this guy was in a pretty bad way. Um, and so Jesus heals him on Saturday. The Pharisees are upset that he healed someone, did work on the Sabbath, because he was, they were probably like, you know, call the doctor on Monday. Um, don't do it on the Sabbath. 
Uh, so, so they're upset. And then, and then um, as you go kind of through the day, um, Jesus ends up at the Pharisee's house, this Pharisee's house who had invited him. And there's all of these guests, other Pharisees and people who are probably of, of kind of that realm of society at this Pharisee's house. And uh, Jesus, Jesus actually kind of confronts the room, the room's pride um, with a parable. And he talks about how, um, you know, you, you tend to, when, when somebody comes in and, and you, you seat the person who doesn't kind of match your, your world or your look, you put them in the back and, and, you, and, you, and you have a seat of honor for someone in, closer to the, to, the, to, the, to the person who's throwing the party and, and that kind of thing. And so he kind of confronts the, the pride and arrogance in the room. Then in verse 12 of chapter 14, Jesus turns and speaks directly to the host not just the guests. And so re- just remember the setting here as we get into verse 12 because Jesus has been invited to this person's house for a feast, a banquet, and now Jesus addresses the host. This is what he says. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, which he just did, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So imagine this for a second. You've got this person who's invited all of his friends, who are kind of a, a same social class, um, probably some other important people in the community, and invites Jesus, this, this rising in popularity rabbi teacher, and this guest of honor, Jesus, turns to the person who's made all the invitations and say, hey, I, I wanna speak in a parable, which isn't really that, I mean, usually parables, you're like, hmm, what does that mean? Pretty obvious. He says, when you throw a party, don't do what you just did. <laughs> Basically, he's saying what you just did is, isn't what you should do. In fact, what you should do is you should invite those who, can't, who don't function in the same circle as you. You may not even know well or at all and invite them because here's the deal. What happens when you invite all these people that you've invited today is it's just this cycle of one-upping each other and getting from each other because, see, you've invited the people to your house that you can benefit from. He says, how about invite people that you can't get any benefit from? And, and, and so it's, it's interesting because, because what, what Jesus is kind of pointing out is... is, is is a pretty, pretty major thing. And, and part of me kind of wonders, okay, can Jesus really mean this? Does he really mean what he's saying? Because as I was trying to think about putting this into a contemporary context, so he's throwing this feast, this banquet, and, and they were all about feasts and banquets. And the best thing that I could come up to to like look at this scenario is what we celebrate as Thanksgiving. Because regardless of who you are in our society, um, 
there's, there's the desire uh, and, and oftentimes the execution of celebrating Thanksgiving and, and everybody gets ready for it and they invite their friends and their family and, and some people do like uh, Friendsgiving because they want to spend Thanksgiving with their friends, not their family who they're stuck with. And so, and so you know, they kind of, you know, work around that and, but still celebrate. But, but, it's, but you do Thanksgiving and you have all people that actually are of benefit to you. Your family, your friends and relatives and, and maybe some neighbors who you know well. And, and here Jesus basically says, if he was talking in our context, he would say, when you celebrate Thanksgiving, don't invite your family and friends and your, your, your close neighbors, but, but invite the person that you saw at, at the grocery store the other day who seem to be very lonely and alone and didn't even look like they belong there. In, invite, invite the person who, who, who you ran into and uh, they were just kind of pushing um, a shopping cart full of bottles and cans. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. And, and so he's saying, like, so when you do, and which I'm super uncomfortable with, I don't like that because what I like about Thanksgiving is I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to like, uh, have any tension, or I just want to enjoy it. I don't want to have to work. I, I don't want to have to work at conversation. I, don't, I want people who I'm familiar with, who I can spend time with, and there's no real relational like, uh, development or investment because it's already been done, and it's just easy to hang out with these people. Yet Jesus says, well, that's not really how I look at it. And you see, so we kind of have to ask, does Jesus, is Jesus really meaning what he's saying? Or is this maybe something that's like saying something, but he means another? You see, the deceptive power of sin and the human heart that's enslaved by what I would call the law of reciprocity. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that, is, that, is that Jesus says something fairly radical because of that deceptive power. And, and this law of reciprocity is, is the idea of how we do things, that we, we always do what will pay off in convenience for us, or, or undisturbed pleasure, or domestic comfort, or social tranquility. We do things that we benefit from, and that's how we make those decisions as we interact with people around us. If you can't benefit me, why would I invest in you? If you can't do something for me, why would I invest in you? And, and so we have this. And so, so Jesus speaks radically because our sin is radical. We are radically blinded by our sin and the cycles that we're stuck in. And so he speaks pretty radically and he says, do this instead. Which is kind of hard to hear, but, but Jesus is very much saying that. You see, here's the thing. The core of Jesus' ministry is, was doing at great cost to himself for others something that they could never repay. That was the core of Jesus' ministry. Doing for others at great cost to himself things that they could never repay. And, and, and that's exactly what Jesus has done for us is that Jesus did something for us at great cost to himself that we can never repay. Jesus paid for our sins. He paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin at great cost to himself. And I can never make that up to him. I can never pay him back. It's impossible because I don't have the ability to pay for my own sins. And so basically what Jesus' ministry consists of is doing those things and that's exactly what he asks us to imitate. He says, okay, so this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to do for others, even if it costs something on your end, what they can never repay, what they can't do for themselves. And I want you to imitate me on this. And that's what Jesus says. See, he, he says at the end of that, at that little passage in this parable, he says, um, you know what, if you, if you live this way, your reward is in the end with, 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 with the righteousness of the just. And he's also kind of asking a question, are you even included in that to this Pharisee? Are you even included in that group of people? Have you surrendered? Have you really surrendered yourself to God? And, 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 and so many of those were, were kind of living in their own agenda and their own, their own way. And so, so, so Jesus says, so follow me. So imitate me. Look like, do what I do. And, and so this morning, I want to share with you one thing that I would challenge you with. And, and this is one thing that we're not going to preach about it today and then move on. I'm going to come back to it constantly. Um, what if I told you that there's one thing that you could do that could change everything for somebody? What if I said there was one thing that you could do that is on the risk scale, relatively low risk, and relatively low on the awkward scale? What if I told you there's something you could do, one thing you could do that could, that has the potential, that could change everything for somebody? Would you say, yeah, okay, I, I could hear that out. I could hear you out. I mean, better than what's one thing that you could do that would be super risky, very difficult, and everyone would shun you. Then you're probably like, I'm, I, can I take option B? So, so one thing, and, and, and it's not a new thing. It's actually a pretty old thing. It's kind of one behavior or maybe a habit that you could develop. In fact, I would call this uh, a keystone habit. Maybe you're familiar with the term keystone habits. It's, it, you'll see it in different, different places. But, but a keystone habit is a small change or a small habit that people introduce into their routines that carry over to other aspects of their lives. And what happens is these small changes, these habits have a domino effect in their life. They, they impact other things, even though they're really small, entry-level, easy things to do. Uh, Craig Rochelle, a pastor, he, he uh, actually talks about his keystone habit is flossing. That he gets up in the morning and he flosses. And that's the habit that actually triggers everything else for him. In the military, it's, it's making your bed. And that's the habit that engages your daily routine and what you do. Here's an example of a keystone habit. Um, we're super health conscious in our society today. In fact, um, Sherry and I, after, after uh, Christmas, we, we got a juicer, and so we've been doing green juice. I don't care about the, the machine because my green juice comes in cans. Um, Mountain Dew, it's green juice. And I've never felt more energetic and healthy and alive, it's doing wonders for me. Um, I don't get tired, it's awesome. Anyway, um, so green, I'm a huge fan of green juice. Um, so so we're, you know, we're, we're a health conscious society and so everybody ha is tracking everything. So here's a, a keystone habit that you could do is, is tracking uh, what you eat. Minor thing, it's not a huge, it's just looking at what you eat, being aware of what you eat, tracking what you eat. And, and so when you start to track what you eat, something that happens because you're tracking what you eat is you tend to make a little bit better choices in, in what you eat. You eat better. 
Why? Because you're tracking and you're kind of like, I ate a whole package of Oreos. Like I, that shouldn't happen in one sitting. So, so you're kind of like, I'm going to track what I'm eating, so I'm going to eat a little bit better. And when you eat better, you tend to sleep better. And, and that, that happens. And so you're eating better, now you're sleeping better. And, and when, you, when you sleep better, uh, you are typically more alert during the daytime or when you're not sleeping. And so obviously, because when you don't sleep well, you're not as alert and, and you're overtired. And so you're sleeping better. Now you're more alert during the daytime, and which would mean that when you go to your job and you work, whatever you do, then you're more alert at work. And when you're more alert at work, you, you get along with people better and you do a better job at work. And then maybe because you're more alert at work and you're doing a better job, you might even make more money at work. And, and when you make more money, your children love you more. And, and then probably because your children love you more, they're gonna stay in town rather than move far away. And then you get grandchildren that you have access to. All because you tracked what you ate. That's how it works. You now have grandkids that you can spend time with because you tracked what you were eating. See how that works? Every time. Every time. I mean, maybe not, but, but, but it, that's how it works, isn't it? And because it's one simple little keystone habit that you do that actually has far-reaching consequences. So the, the keystone habit that I, that I would challenge us with as a church is simply this. Come sit with me. It's not awkward, it's, it's not high risk, it's not real difficult to do, but come sit with me. Here's the thing, why, why would you or I tell someone something that we value in our lives or something that's important or something that we, that we just are super excited about? Well, it's, it's because we don't want people to miss out. We don't want them to miss out on, on what, what is happening because, because it's made a difference in my life, it's, 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 it's fulfilled my life, so I don't want you to miss out on that. Unless you're a mean person, then maybe you don't. Maybe you do want them to miss out. But, but that's why we talk to people. And so this idea, this keystone habit of come sit with me is this. If Jesus is the only thing or is the one thing that could change everything for somebody, why are we not consistently inviting people to join us in our gospel community? If Jesus is the one thing that could change everything for everyone, why are we not consistently inviting people into our gospel community? And that, that, that's, what, that's what Jesus calls us to do, is invite people into the community of the church. And, and you're here, so, so your gospel community is Cross Point Community Church. And so, so the habit, the keystone habit, is to, to invite people to say, come sit with me. And, and it's, it's not really super difficult. Um, it was so, so cool. Um, story, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, there was a young lady who, who was here. She was, she was, on a Sunday morning, she was outside and um, kind of in the park cafe and in the street area. And, and uh, one, of, one of you, one of you saw her and recognized her because uh, they um, knew each other from the past. So one of you went up to her and, and said, hey, it's good to see you. And, and so they chatted briefly. And, and uh, so one of you said, said to her, said, um, are you going into the service? And, and she said, no, no. She said, I, I just, I don't think people would accept me in there. And so one of you, without missing a beat, said, come sit with me. And it's gonna be great. 
And so they came in together and they sat together. And uh, that was the week that April's testimony was, was on screen and her story. And this girl watched April's story because one of you said, come sit with me. And April's story connected with her. And because one of you said, come sit with me and came into the worship center and saw April's story, that young lady made some decisions to, that she wasn't able to make before to get some help and to move in a positive direction. Yeah. Because one of you said, come sit with me. And that's a little domino effect in the course of like an hour and a half <laughs> that things changed. That's what, that's what something like that can do. And, and so here's, here's, what I would, here's what I would throw out. You know, so when do I say, come sit with me? What, 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 is, what is the proper avenue for that? Because I'm just not gonna walk around saying to people, come sit with me. But, but here, here's, here's, here's triggers that I would suggest to trigger the habit of come sit with me. And there are three knots. Three knots. First one is this. When you hear not in church, when you hear not in church, when you're out talking to somebody, if you're hearing somebody, if you're uh, visiting with somebody, maybe somebody you know, maybe somebody you don't know very well, maybe it's somebody in passing and, and somehow the conversation goes, well, I'm not, I'm not really in church right now. Oh, would you wanna come sit with me? Because you're not in church. Would you wanna come sit with me? I, I've got a space right next to me that I would love for you to sit and um, would you want to? And you know what? That person can say, I, I don't think I wanna sit with you. That's okay. But what if they say, yeah, I'd, I'd love to sit with you. And again, by looking at a person, you don't know what they're gonna respond with. You don't know how they're gonna respond. And so, so one of the triggers is not in church. The second trigger that I would suggest is not going well. That you're in a conversation or something. Maybe, maybe you're, at, you're at like Save Mart and you're checking out and, and, and you just say the kind of normal thing that people say in society is, you know, how are you doing? And let's say the, the, the cashier says to you, yeah, I'm not really doing that well. Which in, in our society, you're kind of like, well, that's not what I was looking for. I was just being polite. And so they say, well, I'm not really doing well. And then, you know, what do you do with that? Are you kind of like, oh, well, I see I saved $4 at this visit at Save Mart. Thanks, have a good day. Um, you know, like, not really helpful. And so if you hear not doing well, say, hey, would you want to come sit with me? Do you, do, you have, do you have Sunday morning free? Would you want to come sit with me? And if they say, no, I'd rather not, that's, that's okay. Or maybe, maybe they say, yeah, maybe, I, can I think about, yeah. Here, text me and just let me know. And I'd love for you to sit with me. Not in church, not going well, or not prepared for. When you hear not prepared for, like somebody who maybe just recently moved to Modesto and you're in a conversation with them, you find out, they say, oh, where'd you move from? And they say, and then they say, man, and we were not prepared for moving here. I don't know what we're doing. I don't, do you wanna come sit with me? Oh, I mean, maybe. You see, the three knots are triggers to engage our, our keystone habit of come sit with me. Because you see, when somebody says, well, I'm not in church, sounds like maybe they've been at church at one point. There's a story there somewhere. Do you wanna come sit with me? That's not pushy. 
That's not demanding. Things, yeah, it's not going well for me right now. You know what? Do, we, do you want to come sit with me? I mean, I, I, I can't promise that coming and sitting with me will, will fix everything for you, but I think it can help. Do you want to come sit with me? Yeah, I, I mean, like, we, we, we had a baby and we were not prepared for this. Like, we thought we were ready to have a baby, but we don't even know what to do. Like, it's, it's bad. And, and so, you want to come sit with me? You want to come, come join me and sit with me? I'd, I'd love to sit with you. Do you have Sunday morning open? I mean, you're awake, I'm sure. <laughs> so you could probably show up. Do you want to come sit with me? <laughs> and, and, and so, you see, it might sound like I'm saying that our church is the answer for everything. Maybe, maybe not. But here's the deal. We're all about Jesus and how he wants to transform our lives. And so maybe the question is, what... What's the gospel not the answer for? What's the gospel not the answer for? So, so inviting someone to come sit with you, it's, it's not about saying like, well, I want to get more people in, into church. I want to feel more full. No, it's, it's actually saying, look, there's something that goes on with me and, then, and there's a, a, a gospel community of people that I, that I visit with. And, and, and their influence is, 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 is significant in my life. And, and I actually think if you come sit with me, I, I think this would be a good thing for you. Uh, Adrian Rogers, a pastor from Tennessee, um, passed away a little while ago, but um, he pastored for years. And uh, he was a pretty big, imposing guy. Uh, kind of a really handsome guy. And uh, this was before, you know, we had our Bibles on phones and tablets and things like that. And so he would carry this big Bible with him um, where, wherever he went. And uh, so Adrian Rogers was actually going somewhere. So he had boarded a plane, sat down in his seat and opened his big Bible on his lap and started to read. And so the guy next to him um, kind of tapped him and asked him a question. And, and this question could be asked in a positive way or a negative way. This was asked in a negative way. So the guy next to him taps him and, and he says to him, he says, why do you read that? So like you could say, why do you read that in a way that you actually, you know, are, are interested in it? Or you could say, like, you're an idiot. Why do you read that? And so it was more in the, you're an idiot. Why do you read that? Like, why do you spend time reading that thing? So Adrian Rogers paused and he looked at the guy and kind of looked up from his Bible and looked at him and he said, you know, there's only three problems in the world, sin, sorrow, and death. And this book addresses all three. And he looked back at his Bible and continued to read. About 15 to 20 minutes later of silence, the guy tapped him on the shoulder again. And Adrian looked up and looked at him. And the guy said to Adrian... <laughs> For the last 20 minutes, I've been trying to think of something not related to those three things. <laughs> he said, I'm at a loss. <laughs> you see, it's, 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 not, it's not that difficult. And the reality is that, that God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, deals with sin, sorrow, and, 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 and death. And the reality is all the problems that we face in life, all the things that aren't going well, all the things we're not prepared for, that kind of summarizes them, doesn't it? All the things we have stress and, and difficulty and, and suffering over, those are the things. Luke chapter 16, verse 16, 
Jesus says this, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And so what he's saying there is he's saying that, that Jesus is saying that the era of the law and prophets has come to an end and the age of the kingdom has come. That, that he says the law and the prophets and then there was John's baptism and John was calling people to repent and be baptized and that ushered in the Messiah. And what Jesus isn't saying, he's not saying that the law and the prophets are invalid. In fact, he says more than once that he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets, that he is the embodiment of the law and the prophets. But Jesus kind of fulfills the law and takes it from the way people were, were following God in this external behavior, and he emphasizes the internal motivation. And he says, the kingdom of God is here. And then listen to what he says. He says, the law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And then he says this, and everyone forces his way into it. That's a crazy statement, isn't it? When you think of everyone forcing their way into it, I have this mental image of, you know, like Black Friday Mall or like a Walmart in Texas. I don't know why, that just kind of sticks out in my head. But, but that everyone's waiting there and then finally they open up the door and the employees gets trampled and everyone forces their way into it. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about, the gospel. Just imagine for yourself for a second that, 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 that a gospel that, that is lived in our lives and spoken with our lips that is so clear and compelling that people want it before they even believe it. Because that happens all the time, doesn't it? When someone really understands who Jesus is, well, they, they realize what Jesus has to offer and they say, you know what, I want Jesus. I don't know what this means for me, but I want Jesus. They don't even believe everything that they're supposed to believe yet. But they want in. And they force their way into it. What, what Jesus is saying, he's talking about ordinary people eager to enter into the kingdom of God. But you see, that happens only when our lives reflect the gospel. And, and, and to be honest, so many of us who call ourselves Christians, our lives are not reflective of Jesus in a way that people are forcing their way into a conversation about Jesus with us. But there is a way for that to happen without compromising because the gospel of Jesus answers the problems that we struggle with. You see, we are called to inspire more people to follow Jesus because Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth and everyone got an invitation to that banquet. It wasn't just a group of people, it was everyone. Now, now we have to do something with that invitation. Jesus tells another parable of, of this, this great banquet and he, and he says, invite the guests and, and the servants come back to the master and they say, yeah, well, you know, nobody is coming. They're not responding to the invitation. And so, so the kind of the, the master of the house says, go out to the highways and byways to people standing around and invite everybody because I'm going to have a feast and I'm inviting people to my table. And they're gonna come to my home. And that's what God did in Jesus Christ. He, he invited everyone to participate in God's kingdom. You just have to respond to the invitation. And we don't cause people to, in, to respond to the invitation, but we are the carriers of that invitation. And the way that we can invite that is a simple thing, that is a keystone habit, is come sit with me. When I hear somebody say, yeah, I'm not in church, 
It's not going well. Not prepared. Let that be a trigger that says to you, you know what? I, you know, I heard you saying that things aren't going well. I don't, I don't know what your weekly schedule is, but, but would you wanna come sit with me? Even on a Sunday morning, I, 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 I'd love for you to just sit with me. That's what Jesus calls us to do. One of the questions I asked our staff as we were sitting and kind of talking through these things um, what was this. How, how, does, how does the local church grow and shrink? How, how, do, how do local churches grow and how do they become smaller? And, and it was interesting because we, we, people threw out the, the typical, um, you know, a church has, you know, good, solid biblical preaching. That's one of the ways that um, churches can grow. And, and, and maybe if they, they don't have solid preaching, maybe they, they won't grow. Or Worship, worship's a big one. You know, their, their worship, what, what does their worship look like? And, and, and how do people, you know, like, is it, is it something people really get into and enjoy? And maybe they don't like the worship there, so they, they don't go there or they're drawn there. Um, maybe it has to do with the size of the church. Some people really like smaller contexts. Some people like bigger ones. And, and, and so, so maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe it's the location. And it's interesting because we, we, we think that way often when we talk about, well, you know, how, how, can, how, can, how can our church grow? Well, you know, we need to, we need to have better preaching or we need to have better worship or, or, or we need to have better kids programming or, or we, need, we need all these things. But here's the reality. People grow deep through their exposure to the word and worship and those kinds of things. But churches grow wide, not through those things. Churches grow wide through relationships. And, and there's a reality that it is easy, it is easy to focus on growing deep rather than growing wide because growing, growing deep only involves me. And I can do that without dealing with other people. But growing wide means that I'm actually going and I'm listening to people and I'm hearing people and I'm investing in people and I'm saying, hey, come sit with me. Because as we were talking as a staff, we came to that place of actually the church is going to grow wide only as much as the people in that church are inviting people to come sit with them. And it was funny because one person said what we all secretly want to say, but we don't want to throw it out there. One person said, but, but you know, I, I know this sounds terrible, but you know, I, I like to come to church because I want to be fed and grow and experience worship with, with, in, in this place. Yeah. But where, where does Jesus say, yeah, you can do that at the expense of the others that I've invited? And, 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 so, and so really this, this question of come sit with me is something that really does, I think, encapsulate the invitational posture of Jesus. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, come follow me. He said, come sit with me. He said, come walk with me. And so really, I think one of the, one of the questions is, 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 are we a people who so value what God is doing here in us that we would invite others into it. Because if you really value what God is doing here 
and you're not asking people to join you? And my question is, how grateful really are you of what God is doing? Are you stuck in that law of reciprocity? That, well, it kind of edges in on my, my comfort, kind of edges in on, 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 on me time. You know, will we or won't we be good stewards of what God has given us? Sit with me. Come sit with me. It's, it's a small start. And, and maybe for you, maybe it, it starts like here on campus where you see somebody who's standing alone or looks alone and you don't know them and you just go over and say, hey, I haven't met you yet. How are you? Are you here with anybody? And they say no. And you say, you know what? Why don't you come sit with me? Come sit with me and my family. If they don't want to, that's fine. If they're, if they're alone by choice, great, because we don't want to, you know, bully people. <laughs> but if they're, if they're here and, and they look like they're alone, there should never be anyone sitting alone at cross point unless it's their choice. And it's as simple as, as you're walking in and you see someone that you don't know and you think that they might be alone, ask them and say, come sit with me. To be honest, as I've been walking through this, I'm kind of like, okay, you guys have it easy. I have it hard because the sell on my part of if I invite, if when I say come sit with me, I like have to have a chair up here. I'm like, yeah, it's, I, I know I didn't mention this when I invited you, but you're going to have to sit on stage and everyone's going to be looking at you. So like for me, I feel like it's a harder sell than for you because they can just sit out there. But it's not really that difficult, is it? I, I, I believe that when this attitude, this behavior becomes a keystone habit, that, that when I hear those trigger knots, that my, my first thing is, hey, come sit with me. When, when this becomes a keystone habit, it'll begin to impact how you and I serve, how we sing, how we give, how we learn, and how we evaluate, because as long as we see ourselves through the eyes of those that we're inviting, those who are sitting next to us because we said, come sit with me, then we're gonna get it right. But, 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 it, but the minute we turn inward and just say, hey, it's, just, it's kind of about, it's about us, it's about me, then what we're actually saying is, Jesus, whether you feel like the mission you gave me is accomplished or not, I'm going to take a break for it, from it. Like, I've done enough, I've completed my mission, and so... Good luck with your other children, <laughs> but I'm out. And, and, and so it's as simple as this. Come sit with me. And so I guess my challenge to you this morning, and it will be a continuously revisited challenge, is who are you sitting with? Who have you invited to sit with you? Or... Are you going to move forward? Like on one of my favorite shows, Shark Tank, like Mike, Mark Cuban, and say, it's too awkward, it's too inconvenient, and it bunches up my time, and for those reasons, I'm out. <laughs> or are you going to actually think about the urgency that Jesus lived with and the cost that it is for other people and invite people into your gospel community to come sit with you? I want to invite the prayer team to come forward. And after I pray, if you need prayer this morning, I'd invite you to come up and, and, and let those people pray with you. And as I said, we're gonna be coming back to this. 
you're gonna hear this a lot. And I think it'd be awesome if we were asking each other the opportunities that we have and the people. Just imagine, what if, what if, even, what if even half of us asked someone to come sit with them? I bet we'd have some stories of some pretty entertaining non-takers. And I think we'd have some pretty cool stories of people who would be sitting next to you this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and God, I thank you so much that you didn't just wait for us to come to you because we were incapable of that. God, I thank you that you from the moment that we sinned and turned our back on you, from the moment we rejected you, God, you paid everything to invite us to come sit at your table in your house forever. God, I pray that we would reflect you and imitate you in that way, in the way we engage the people around us. God, that we would be known as a people who have this invitational posture of come sit with me. God, that we would grow in ways that we couldn't anticipate from obeying and living out your mission that way. That we're not really sacrificing anything. Because Jesus, as you said, that our reward is in the resurrection of the just. And God, that you will see that and you will remember that. And that God, you will grow your kingdom wide because we live in obedience to what you've called us to do. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name, amen.